near-death experience podcast, an ongoing exploration of spiritually transformative experiences, including NDEs and other phenomena, in order to elucidate the ineffable and better understand our spirituality. All episodes are available at ndepodcast.org. The views expressed and opinions given by the individual hosts and guests are not necessarily those of NDE Podcast, the NDERF, any sponsors, or for that matter, anyone else. In the end, the only opinion that really matters is yours. Welcome to Near-Death Experience Podcast, the official source of audio accounts for the Near-Death Experience Research Foundation. I'm Chaz Hathaway, author of Life in the Spirit World, What Near-Death Experiences May Teach About Life on the Other Side, as well as the music album Home. As you can hear today, I've got a little bit of a lost voice. I've been uh, suffering from some kind of sinus virus, and... uh, I think I'm on the uh, recovering end, but my voice is still suffering, unfortunately. Uh, I may go a little short today if if my uh, vocal cords get a little strained or tired, um, but I've got, I found a pretty cool experience here on endearth.org uh, that I think is worth sharing. And this is Graça. I hope I'm saying that right. I think it's a Portuguese name. Uh, maybe from Brazil or something. I'm, I don't see in the description uh, location. But uh, Graça says, I saw and heard my husband cry, and I did not understand the reason. For me, everything was going to pass, and I was well. I said to him, Manuel, I'm well. It's over. He didn't hear me. I insisted. He went to grab the device to measure the blood pressure, put it on my arm, and when it got the result, he moaned. He tried several times in vain because the device didn't give any signal. I continued to look at him and telling him that I was well. He didn't hear me. I saw that he went to get a small mirror, which he put in front of my nose and my mouth, but there was no vapor in the mirror. He tried it once and again. I continued with my attempts to speak to him, telling him that I was all right and that I didn't feel any pain. I couldn't explain why the mirror didn't fog up, but I worried more about calming my husband. I was well, he babbled. Please, Grisinha, don't leave me. Don't leave me. I need you. I was telling him, listen to me. I'm well. It's over already. Suddenly I realized that I was looking at him from a more elevated point than would be possible if I were lying in a bed. He used the mirror and tensiometer so anxiously, and I didn't understand the reason. I was telling him that I didn't feel any pain, that everything was already over, but he didn't hear me. Finally, he stopped and bent over my body to cry, Grisinha, an affectionate version of my name. Don't leave me, please. What is going to be of our son? Contrary to me, at that time my husband was a practicing Catholic, and in spite of some doubts he continued to be for some years afterwards. At that moment, I realized that something absurd was occurring. 
I was aware that I was watching the scene from close to the ceiling. I felt unsettled. It was strange. How could I see my husband crying and bent over my body? I watched attentively to have certainty that it was me. It was me. How could that be? What was going on? I was not scared. I was intrigued. I tried to find an explanation, but I couldn't. I looked around, stunned. I think that I stopped listening to my husband, although I saw him leaning over my body to cry. I looked carefully around from the ceiling. I saw the ceiling lamp and the friezes of the closet doors. I was now positioned close to the ceiling and was intrigued by the situation. To my right was the closet with its three doors. I could see the surface of the top part of the door. It was full of dust, and I remember thinking, Oh, I forgot to clean the dust there. It was then that I saw a sheet of blue paper with 25 lines covered with dust. It was a document that I had searched for and couldn't find. I thought, It's here. I looked around for it so much, and it is here and covered with dust. I'll have to clean more carefully. I was aware that this was not a dream. Below, my husband shook my body, and I felt sorry for him. I did not think that I was dead. I was not dead because I could watch the scene from a physically impossible point of view. I was unable to understand anything. I felt unsettled. I looked at the wall on my back and saw the clock. When I tried to see the time, I felt sucked, and I left that space. In the following instant, I was in a place and in total darkness. I felt a lot of fear and was disoriented. I extended my arms, trying to reach a wall or a piece of furniture. I couldn't reach anything. I remember I was going forward with my arms extended arms, and rolling in all directions, looking for a point of reference. There was nothing, and I was terrified. Where was I? What was I doing here? I didn't call God or the saints. To me, they did not exist. I didn't call for anyone. I decided to walk in one direction, at least to try walking. I extended my arms toward the front, and I moved. It was then that I heard a voice. Don't be afraid. We are here to help you. I extended my arms in the direction of the voice, but all I found was a void. Another voice, and still another, said the same to me. I cannot tell how many of them there were. I felt their presences, but I couldn't touch them. At a certain point, I realized that I didn't hear them with my ears, but with my thoughts. How was that possible? I realized that I didn't have an option. I was in the darkness, not knowing where. And whatever it was that was there, I had no one to ask for help. These voices seemed like people to me because I could understand what they said to me. I was intrigued to know where I was. If I didn't see them, was I perhaps blind? I heard the answer within me. No, you're not blind. 
I stopped trying to reach them, trying to touch them. I mentally accepted their help. I was scared. I can even say that I was terrified. The total darkness disoriented me. Come. Where to? Come follow us. How? I cannot see you. Let it go. Whoever it was that communicated with me was situated to the right. I felt something like an energy, like static electricity or magnetism, which I couldn't define. I felt also that there were other energies around me. I desisted from questioning and let it go. I felt my body to take the position of lying face down on my belly. I felt agitated, but the one who accompanied me said that I would not fall. We moved slowly into the darkness, or so it seemed to me. Without any point of reference, I was not able to know with which speed I was moving. I had the sensation of gliding. I asked, where are we going? And they answered that I should be calm and to continue. The fear was going away. At a certain, at a certain place, a point of minuscule light appeared in that darkness. They said to me, look, that is where we are going. I did not have any questions. As we advanced into the direction of the light, the darkness faded. I didn't feel like I was traveling through a tunnel. I had the sensation of traveling in the projected cone of light, like when you use a lantern in the dark, you project a cone of light. That is how I can describe that moment. I started to feel anxious. I wanted to be there, close to that light. To me, it was a star that would illuminate the landscape when we were closer to it. When there was clarity around me, I tried to look at my companions. I couldn't see them, but I continued to feel them close to me. I was calm, as if everything that happened was natural. I understood. We came to a point where the clarity illuminated everything, and I saw a landscape. But I didn't have time to look at its details, because it seemed as if we were traveling at an unthinkable speed. I saw the earth and the moon in the distance. I saw the sun moving away. I was amazed. There were colors that I cannot define because they don't fit the palette of colors that we have on Earth. There were tones that created layers like transparent, superimposed plaques. They were beautiful, and I was ecstatic. I let myself be carried through without fear. I was amazed. We traversed tons of dust. Then more and more stars appeared that moved away as we advanced. I could see the light of the stars without any difficulty. That space landscape was also very beautiful. I was like a curious traveler, observing everything despite the movement being too fast to observe details. I remember understanding it seemed to me that I saw the stars in parallel, infinite planes. I understood everything, so, so I no longer asked questions. I looked and marveled at the scenery. The landscape was formed by colors and the stars that we passed. 
I was so fascinated that I did not look at the initial light. My invisible companions continued to be with me, but I had the sensation that they were slowly being left behind. That, to me, was a normal fact. The initial companion, who was situated to my right, continued to be present. I could feel it. I looked at the light towards where we were heading. It was so powerful as the sun, but its light did not hurt. I looked at it directly, but did not feel discomfort. The same happened when we passed by any star. None of those lights hurt. The colors were so beautiful and different from the ones I know. I moved, but I don't recall seeing my body. In those moments, it wasn't important. As strange as it may seem, the more away I was from the planet Earth, the more the existence of my family ceased to matter to me. I didn't think of my son, and that was very strange. I recall that I had a sentiment similar to one that we have when we, when after a long absence and we come home, I felt I was going back home. I was at peace and as happy as never I had been before. At a certain moment, the first light issued sounds which I cannot define. Sound came out in a wave, which I call so because it moved like the waves of the sea. It was a wave of light and energy, so I don't know how to define it. I had fear, but my invisible companion told me to remain calm and that nothing bad would happen to me. I stayed watching the waves as it came nearer, waiting for what would occur. When the wave touched me, I felt it gave out love. It was so, a love so great that even if I added the love of my parents, my husband, my son, all the family, that, and that which I felt for them, it could not be compared to this love more than a grain of sand to the desert. I had never felt anything like it. A new wave formed, and when it came to me, I felt loved in an unexplainable way. I wished to go to the source that emanated so much love. I changed focus from whatever surrounded me to center only on that strange star. I wanted to reach it soon, and with each wave that touched me, I felt even happier, as if I was part of that love, always part of that love. I was close, so I thought, when the light said mentally to me, stop. I stopped even without wanting to. You have to go back. Go back? You have to go back. Your husband needs you and your son, too. No, please, I want to stay. You can't. You have to go back. My husband gets another woman and my son has his father and grandparents. They don't need me. Let me stay. You have to go back. You have duties to fulfill. But I want to stay, please. I have never felt so much love in my life. Don't send me back. You have to go back. You have duties to fulfill. Your mission has not yet ended. Mission? What mission? 
I've already suffered so much, and I've never been bad. Please, please, I want to stay here. You can't. Go back. In the following instant, everything vanished. The pain came back. I breathed and was on the bed with my husband crying with joy. I was crying with sadness. At that time, the nearest hospital was about 13 kilometers away and serviced the community so badly that anyone who would have to go there was scared. I was so tired that I only wanted to rest. My husband phoned a doctor who didn't answer. I narrated for my husband the experiences I had had, and we cried of the emotion. He was so moved for having me safe, and I was moved by the experience and the frustration of my return. My husband affirmed that after I put my hand on my breast and I tried to breathe, I didn't open my eyes. Then how could I say, or how could I see everything that happened? I told my husband, excuse me, but I didn't want to come back. Everything was so pretty and there was so much love. When our four-year-old son arrived from a tour with his maternal grandparents and came to embrace us, he had a sen sentiment of guilt for wanting to leave him an orphan of his mother. But the pain of the departure from that ambience of love was still with me. My husband went to see the document, which I said was on top of the closet. He set up a chair to stand on and retrieved it, full of dust, just as I had seen it. We'd never heard of anything like that. On the morning of the next day, my husband took me to a doctor of good reputation. After a long examination, he took an electrocardiogram, radiocardiographed my, or radiographed my whole body, made reflexive and reasoning tests. I don't remember what else he did. Then he informed us that I had had a cardiac and respiratory arrest due to an allergic reaction to the chemical composition of aspirin, and I was very lucky to have survived. My husband asked him if we should have gone to the hospital. He said that I never would have arrived alive. He thought that I seemed to have slight injuries to the heart and lungs, but that I could live many years with them. I attempted to speak about what had happened, but he let me not, and instead told me something like this. My grace, you were unconscious and one step away from death. I am absolutely certain that you saw nothing and heard nothing. I will give you an EEG to make sure that everything is all right. Going back home, my husband and I decided to keep secret what I had, or what had occurred for fear someone would consider us crazy. The EEG was done and deemed to be normal for your age. That is the end of Grasa's experience. You know, it's interesting how these things are framed um, by the people who write them, in fact, because there is a tragic element to them First off, the having to come back, this sense of being in this glorious, beautiful, loving place and having to return, it 
it feels tragic in the way they experience it. And I'm sure for them it felt that way. And then, of course, there is the tragedy of people not believing them, them being silenced by, you know, fear of being, you know, uh, committed or some other thing, sometimes being diagnosed with something horrendous or, or being given medications to silence their hallucinations and so forth. These things happen, and they shouldn't. But there is this sense of tragedy about all of it. And yet the more I read these, the more I see that the real tragedy was averted. That they nearly missed the opportunity to fulfill what they came here to do. This interesting little argument that uh, Grasa has with uh, this being um, who, you know, sounds like God or or something. She's, she's told, you've got to go back. She's like, I, I don't want to go back, please. I've not done anything wrong. I, you know, I don't deserve to, to have to go back to that, basically saying, don't send me back. And yet it's not that she hated her life per se. It's that she's never felt so loved. She's never felt so connected. And yet she's told that she needs to go back, that she has duties to fulfill, that her mission has not yet ended. And her coming back was a tragedy averted. Now it's interesting because we go full circle. Obviously somebody who, you know, you have a loved one who comes close to death and they come back, tragedy averted. But that's not the tragedy, the real tragedy that was averted. The real tragedy would be leaving before finishing our missions, finishing our duties, finishing the things that we came here to do. It'd be like spending your entire life working towards, say, getting into medical school and being so excited about it and so pumped and then taking this final big test to, uh, to get in and there's a hundred questions, you know, and you've got to get, you know, maybe 80% or something, I don't know, in order to uh, pass the test, we'll say, uh, in order to get into medical school. And you are pumped about this. You are excited. You have worked for this all your life. And halfway through the test, you decide, you know what? This test is hard. At question 50, you put down your pencil and you walk away. You never apply. You never get in. You never do what you came to do. That would be a tragedy. In this case, what people are doing is they are in the middle of that test and they have the information. They know what they need to know. They've just got to see it through to the end. And they're filling out the tests and there comes a point where they're like, it's hard. I don't want to be here. I don't want to be doing this. And they may even try stepping out. And they're told, no, you've got to go back in and finish the test. They're like, I don't want to. It hurts. And, you know, it's so much better not having to worry about that. And then they're finally pushed back into the classroom and told, you need to finish. And so we sit down and we finish. And with that finish, we're able to fulfill an incredible life. 
of service, of a career that we've loved, that we have sought. There's no tragedy in death when we are prepared for it. Nothing whatsoever of tragedy. I do feel bad for the people left behind, but that's, but that's only because they have to stay and they have to finish their missions. It's not because the person left. Anyone who has finished their duties on this earth and have completed and die of natural causes, of accidents, whatever, that is the triumph. That is the final victory. And that is why I think when I read these experiences and see this this element of tragedy and having to return, I'm reminded you were so close to missing the opportunity. Now, I'm not suggesting that the people should feel that way, that they should feel like they get here, back here, and, and should be like, oh, yay, I made it back to the test. Of course, it's a test. It's hard. It's not very pleasant while during the testing portions. But we have things to accomplish here, and we will rejoice everlastingly if we can hold out to the end of the test because we have studied for this thing. We know what we're getting ourselves into. We've just got to hold out and do what we came here to do. That's going to be different for everybody what exactly that is. But it has very much to do with love. Of that, I think we can be quite confident. And I can also be quite confident that part of it is also seeking God while we are here. The more I read these things, the more I see that we're often brought up to believe in something of a hateful God. And then when we discover either this information or we have our own near-death experience or our own experience with God in some way or another, we come to find out he's very different than maybe we were assuming that he's a loving and deeply deeply connected individual and that he is there for us always and that making that connection draws heaven closer to earth because you make that connection you become a pipeline an IV to bring that love to earth and there are others who are who have found him who are reaching back and and have that pipeline to the love of God that we can bring and spread on the earth. It will not always be received as intended, and that's unfortunate, but that's to be expected. Where it does make a difference makes it all worth it. Seek out God. Fulfill whatever your purpose is here. If you don't know that purpose, seek God in order to find out what it is. If you don't find out what it is, be always seeking it and always seeking God. And you can be sure that you will fulfill it. I have a suspicion that most people don't know that they fulfill their life purpose, but that most people do.
If you would like to reach out to me, my email is chaz at ndepodcast.org. You can also email john at ndepodcast.org. If you would like to help financially with the podcast, you can either purchase my book, Life in the Spirit World, or my album, Home, both of which are on the neardeathexperiencepodcast.org website. Uh, uh, Just click on store and you'll see them both. If you'd like to become an ongoing monthly contributor, go to patreon.com slash ndepodcast. And with that, thank you again so much, all of you, for listening. Thank you.